and powerful calves, they will win tomorrow. Well, if you were really great, certainly you could beat the G League Warriors. Do you presume to criticize the great calves, you ungrateful whore? Well, that's a bit much. Consider yourself lucky. Evan Mobley gives you 38 tomorrow instead of drafting Scotty Barnes. But we shouldn't just ignore Jamichael Green lit us up. Shut up, you pig. Oh, come on. I don't deserve that. You will beat the Bucks. The great and powerful Cavaliers have spoken. Wait a minute. This is just a guy behind a shower curtain. Whoa! How dare you open my curtain, you insolent pig whore! All right, you caught me. Look, fine. The Warriors game was bad, but we beat the Bucks, and Evan Mobley had a career high. Focus on the positive, you dumb bitch. Down. Three on the way. Good! Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah! Bob yeah! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. What a hell of a night. Now, there are very few things that happen in life that immediately render a horrible memory irrelevant. But I believe I can speak for all of Cavalier fandom here on the Fear the Fro podcast when I say, what Golden State game? Memory thoroughly repressed. If the Golden State Warriors was the film Sleepers and we were molested in a detention center against our will, the Bucks game was coming back as a full-grown adult and taking out our vengeance against the people who had wronged us. Oh, Bobby Portis, you think you're going to bully us? <laughs> Fuck no. Get out of here. Brooke Lopez, you think you can stop me? No, sir. Oh, Grayson Allen, you want to victimize me? Eat a dick. Now, that is not an accurate plot summary for Sleepers. I do love the movie, but I retain nothing. I just know somebody got diddled. Demons exercised. Warriors game didn't happen. I'll never speak of it again. Onward and upward. I can still accomplish great things in life. So the Cavaliers walk away with a victory tonight. 114-102, splitting the season series 2-2. Two disappointing losses to begin it. But the last two games against what I was told is a contender on a different level than us. The Celtics and the Bucks. The Bucks and the Celtics. But where or where are the Cavaliers? Well, last I checked, the Cavaliers are 4-2 and two against the combined Milwaukee Bucks and Boston Celtics. And they've won the last two in a row against the Bucks and the last two in a row against the Boston Celtics. Now perhaps you find yourself asking, well, Bob, this was the game we have all been waiting for, to see Evan Mobley finally make a statement for all those people who say that he hasn't progressed. Well, I want to put this in context for you. Who are Evan Mobley's peers? Scotty Barnes won the Rookie of the Year fraudulently. We have Jalen Green, a man who's the first, second, third, and fourth option for the worst team in the NBA, the Houston Rockets. And we have Franz Wagner. I don't have a slanderous thing to say about him. I like him. I think he's a very good player, but let's talk about these guys. Evan Mobley tonight scored 38 points, and he did it on a blistering 19 of 27 from the floor. That's 70% from the field, for those who can't do math, without looking at the math, which is right in front of me. I happen to have that advantage. That ties him with Franz Wagner, who also has scored 38 points. He did it in December of 2021 during his rookie year in a loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. He shot respectably 60% from the floor, but he got to the free throw line 
10 times. The luxury Evan Mobley was not afforded. Scotty Barnes, you might be asking, how did he do? Well, today, against the shorthanded Celtics without Jason Tatum, he scored just 10 points. But for his career, his best evening was 31 points. Also, coming in a loss to the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, what about Jalen Green, you may be saying? He's probably the most likely to have outscored Evan Mobley, and that is indeed true. Jalen Green has scored 41 points twice. Once this January, just a few days ago, against the Charlotte Hornets in a loss. And the second time last April against the Atlanta Hawks in a loss. Four players, five career highs, only one of them came in a victory. So when people come at you and they tell me that, well, Evan Mobley, he's not even the first option on his team. Is that an argument against Evan Mobley at this point? Because it seems to me that you are on the losing end of that as well. These men who have scored their career highs, Jalen Green, Scotty Barnes, Franz Wagner, hold a massively higher usage rate than Evan Mobley. He did this damage with a usage rate below 20, just 19.2% this year. Jalen Green, 27.9%, which, by the way, is a higher usage rate than Darius Garland. Just in case you hadn't watched Jalen Green play, know that the Rockets run more stuff through him than we do through Darius Garland. Franz Wagner, 25%. Scotty Barnes, the closest to Evan Mobley, 21%, 20.7 actually. So the guy who's looked to the least shined the brightest against the Milwaukee Bucks. Now I spoke in the Memphis game about how the Cavs fed him late. In the final period, he got seven attempts, which for a guy who had been averaging less than 10 and a half attempts per game was unbelievable. Tonight in the fourth quarter, He got nine attempts, went seven for nine, scored 14 points, matched his second quarter scoring, 14 points in the second period, 14 points in the fourth period, and overall, just an incredible final three quarters for Evan. It was pretty quiet in the first quarter, just four points, but it seemed like when the second hit, Evan just decided, you know what, this is my game. This isn't Bobby Portis's game. Portis, incredible in his own right to start the game, began The first period, he was 4-for-4. Opened the game 5-for-5. So after that first quarter, he had 11 of the Bucs' first 13 points. We entered the second quarter trailing. But Mobley absolutely exploded. By the time we hit four minutes left in the second quarter, Evan Mobley was at 18 points, which was the total he accumulated in half one. So basically what I'm saying is he scored 14 points in eight minutes. He took it upon himself to take what was a deficit and turn it into a halftime lead with the Cavaliers leading by three, 50 to 47. Now, I alluded to it before, but what's truly amazing in this whole effort is that he did all of his damage in the paint and managed to take a single free throw. Now, for those of you who missed the game, do yourself a favor. Look at the shot chart. Evan Mobley did not take a jumper outside of the free throw circle. Nothing that wide out. Everything was in the area of the court where there was a lot of traffic. And he managed to weave around people, go through people, cut, get dump-offs from Darius Garland, who in and of his own right was incredible tonight. I know we're leading with Evan Mobley, but not to be lost in this is that Darius Garland saw what was working, set back, piled up the assists, and let the offense roll behind the big man. 21 points, 10 assists, 3 rebounds, and don't look now... Darius Garland is kicking the door in on this all-star reserve conversation because this absence of Donovan Mitchell was just what he needed to remind people that no, 
He and Evan Mobley have not regressed. They've adapted. They've adapted to dropping in a top 10 usage guy in Donovan Mitchell. 31.8%, by the way. In case you were wondering how to parallel that against Jalen Green, Donovan Mitchell uses the ball more than Kevin Durant. And still, Darius Garland is basically doing the same numbers, just slightly less efficiently as last year. So convince yourself, if you'd like, that now with Mitchell in the fold, that he is not the guard that he was last year, but that's just foolish. You can see it. And just look at these last three games where he's been running the show, Milwaukee, Memphis, Golden State. He's averaging 25 points, 11 assists, and three rebounds a game. Now, All-Star voting has essentially come to a close. For Darius Garland to make it into the All-Star game, he will have to do it as a reserve. But here are the most relevant things I think you should keep in mind as you try to decide who he can outpace. Now, the starters, it's going to be Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brown, in my opinion. Jalen Brown is not a guard, but he was listed there, and he will likely be, that'll be the starting backcourt for the Eastern All-Stars. Now, the reserves, you have Trey Young, James Harden, Tyrese Halliburton, Darius Garland, and Jalen Brunson. That's five guards. If you count Mitchell as the only other true guard on the roster, I guess it's possible all five will make it, but I would expect at best four of those guys will make it. So Darius Garland would have to beat out one of them. Who is his best shot? Well, I think it comes down to two guys. I expect both Trey Young, because he's a bit of a fan favorite, even though I don't find him that likable, but he scores a lot. He doesn't do it efficiently, but he does it in a flashy way. They're going to put him in the All-Star game, just for fan interest's sake. You have James Harden playing on a good Sixers team, playing good basketball, very good counting numbers. So let's look at the final three people. Darius Garland is having a great stretch here. And what you want heading up to the reserve selection is for your guy to be thriving. This month, Darius Garland is averaging 23 points, 9 assists, and 4 rebounds. However, the guy to keep in mind here, Tyrese Halliburton is bottoming out to some degree. He still has great numbers on the season, but he's only played five games this month because of injuries, and during that time, scoring just 15.5 points a game. Ten and a half assists a game, which is great, league-leading assist guy, but his January numbers have pulled down his efficiency ever so slightly because he was flirting with a 50-40, and that's You do 50-40, you're getting into the All-Star game. 20 points, 10 assists, 4 rebounds on 50-40 splits. Okay. Sorry, Darius. If you were to ask me why I think Halliburton would make it over Garland, I think there's several things in his favor. He's considered a better defender. He's the primary option on his team. They're not going to take two calves over one pacer and one calf if everything is equal. And beyond that, he's a feel-good story. Now, this is the crazy thing. Everybody talks like Tyrese Halliburton as if he's a breakout and just a fresh new face. Darius Garland is one month older than Tyrese Halliburton. But Darius Garland has a bit of the old news complex going now because he made the All-Star game last year. I think that's actually working against Darius, despite the fact that his ball handling is just sensational to watch as a fan. And guys like Bill Simmons, they all point that out, that they love watching this guy because he's just such a dynamic dribbler. Now, I should say, I have absolutely zero problem with Halliburton making it over Garland. I'm just trying to rationalize a scenario where Darius might sneak in because, of course, I'm a Cavs fan, first and foremost. But Tyrese deserves respect, far more respect than Wally Zerbiak gave him. His defense is better, his efficiency is better, he's leading the league in assists, and the team is better than anybody expected. So he has a lot of very good things on his resume. 
But right now, he's actually injured. So he might lose some momentum this month. But the trouble here is that Jalen Brunson, playing in one of the biggest markets in the country, in New York, plays on a team that has basically two all-star possibilities here. And that's Julius Randle and him. And he is having an unbelievable January. 30 points, five and a half assists, and five rebounds. And just listen to these splits. 50% shooting, 49% from three. That is a guy who's probably going to find his way into the All-Star game. So can Darius Garland make it? Of course. There's also going to be injury replacements. Halliburton is looking like he'll be back early February, but you never know. There could be delays. They may want to play it safe. The more games he misses, the better it is for the Pacers' long-term plans, probably. But we may need one of those statement games, a 50-point haymaker from Darius Garland against the Knicks. That would be great coming up here on this Tuesday game. If he outshines Brunson on that level, it would certainly do a lot to bolster his all-star case. I still think it's an outside shot, if I'm being 100% honest. But I do think he deserves attention as a guy who has forced his way at least into the conversation. Now, I had no intention of going off on this gigantic Darius Garland rim job. Let's steer the conversation back to Evan Mobley because we talked about how everything and anything was going in. Evan Mobley did not make a basket that was further than 15 feet away from the rim tonight. In fact, 11 of his 19 makes were from two feet or less. And if there was one noticeable thing beyond the aggression from Evan to try to look for his own shot, it was his lack of hesitance. It felt like one of those games where they talk about shooters who the rim looks like it's a mile wide when your shot is falling for you. And with Evan, his aggression being rewarded with baskets seemed to feed into his ability to go up quickly and to not hesitate or pump fake his way into more difficult contests. He was slithery. He was hitting floaters. He was hitting turnaround fadeaway shots. He was hitting layups. He was hitting dump-off dunks. He, had a, uh, a, he went up on one. It could have been a dunk. Brooke went up to contest, and he turned it into a finger-roll layup. Basically, anything in his bag you got to see tonight outside of any type of perimeter shooting, which he didn't need to go to. And I love that because I believe it was Justin Rowan who said something to the effect of, well, on a final night of a tough stretch of games, it was nice to see them force the ball into the paint. Tired legs, a back-to-back, and I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. And I hope this is a jumping-off point for him. Now, I thought Jared Allen, actually, he got a lot of looks early. He led the team in attempts in the first quarter, but they just were not falling for him. And some of those were kind of foul line jump shots. His touch wasn't quite there. But when they went away from Jared Allen after the first quarter and they decided to run it through Evan Mobley, my goodness, did our fortunes change. I'm hopeful that Donovan, who has said a lot of things about just convincing Evan that, yes, he's that guy. And we saw in the Utah game, they talked about how he pulled Walker Kessler aside and gave him some pointers. I think that Donovan Mitchell is going to see this and realize, okay, if we can allow Evan to get off, it's going to make our jobs easier. Because watching Darius pull up from the middle of the lane and nobody stepping towards him was awesome tonight. And I understand why they didn't want to do it. Evan Mobley was absolutely destroying everything at the rim. They had to stay home. I'm feeling great. This is without Donovan. We got Rubio back in the fold. The return of Drippy Dean Wade. Hold on. Let me just cue up the... Okay, let's get this. Dean Wade, he's not an impressive physically specimen guy. How dare you? Hey! Knocks it down. You got 
the drip. Dean Wade's the drippiest Dean. He's the drippiest damn small forward you've ever seen. He got that drip. And he's a scoring machine. The 3 and D undrafted free agent development dream. His name is Drip. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Dean tonight, but I do think the man needs a nod. They kept his minutes low, only 10 minutes tonight. Didn't take a single shot attempt. But if there was one play, and I want you to remember, direct quote, Brian Winhurst. He's not an impressive physically specimen guy. He's not an impressive physically specimen guy, but if there was one play that made you say, maybe that is a bit overstated. It was the incredible blocked shot. He got on Joe Ingles, who tried to get to the rim, had a half step on him. Dean was right up on his hip and sent that thing packing out of bounds. And then they had a sweet embrace. I like to think that Joe Ingles was welcoming him back to the NBA family, but maybe not. Regardless, only 10 minutes tonight from Dean, but he deserves a a tip of the fro cap, as it were. You, Rubio, Mitchell, a thriving Mobley, who knows what's in store for the future? The rim protectors won't be able to close on us without fear of Evan and Jared Allen feasting. So I'm hopeful that as Donovan is introduced back into the lineup with Rubio playing some important minutes tonight, and I thought he played some solid defense. Overall, a pretty impactful game for what was a quiet stat line for Ricky Rubio. He didn't shoot very well, but a couple of steals, five assists, and pushed the pace as best as anyone could be expected to. Osmond had some nice dimes tonight, and I think overall, we got a very good game from Osmond. That's going to get buried in this whole thing, because Evan's going to dominate the storylines, as he should, and not to be lost in this, is that in 20 minutes, Osmond gave us an efficient 13 points, and he led the team in free throw attempts, too. Now, Karis LeVert, quiet stat line compared to his last couple games where he dropped 20-plus, but 13.7 rebounds, so he continues some strong play. And of particular note is that the Cavs were trailing that game in the first quarter, and Portis got out to that super-fast start. I thought Karis LeVert had a monster stretch in his first minutes off the bench, and he continues to show a propensity to put up three-point looks. He got another six attempts up tonight and made three of those, but Over his last three games, the volume from outside is picking up, and he's knocking them down. Maybe that doesn't hold, but Karis LeVert is starting to look like contract year. Karis LeVert giving us some of the best basketball that I think any of us could have hoped for from him as we approach this All-Star break. Last year, the story of the second half of the season was that the injuries took us down. We could not sustain our momentum. We had that great first half. Then the injuries started to mount. But look at what Karras is doing every time Donovan Mitchell is missing games. In these three games, he's averaging 19 points, five assists, four rebounds. And these three-point attempts, six against Milwaukee tonight, eight against the Warriors, seven against Memphis, and he made most of those. In all those games, he shot over 50% from the floor. In that span of time, he is 12 for 21 from three. That's 57%. So, If he gives us anything close to that type of efficiency from outside, that coupled with Okoro stepping forward, Dean Wade back in the lineup, we panic. Myself included. I'm doing a whole sub-series on teams and discussing who they may have and who they they may not. But Karis LeVert, my God, he's taking his name out of the conversation because he's a good secondary distributor. He's a very effective scorer. 20 points a game, filling in as a spot starter. What more could you ask for from him? And he has motivation to play. That's the other thing here. We trade for a guy on a contract like a Tim Hardaway Jr. The one thing that is more reliable than anything else in the NBA 
It's that if a guy is fighting for his next contract and it's impending, it's coming this summer, he's going to do absolutely everything he can to stay on the floor. And do we think it's a coincidence that Karis LeVert came in in the best shape that he's been in? Do we think it's a coincidence that he has been shockingly healthy? I want to ride out this version of Karis. Because once we extend him, who knows what we're going to get. But I love the effort so far to fit in, to adapt to whatever his role may need to be. And Karis LeVert, for the last handful of games, they have not been the result we'd like. I know we lost Memphis in a rough way. We lost the Golden State Warriors game in an absolutely heartbreaking way. But tonight was big. I thought he was very good. And I thought that stretch at the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second, Karis asserted himself and sort of stopped the bleeding until Evan Mobley just exploded. Now, if there's one other bench player that I think deserves a mention, it's not for this game. He didn't even log a minute in this game. But Raul Neto, if there was a bright point in what was an otherwise horrific display against the Golden State Warriors in which they shot us off the floor, it was Raul Neto being the professional irritant that he is. And what a luxury it's going to be to have him, even if we don't play him, to have him sitting behind Ricky Rubio in case guys like Mitchell or Garland go down and we have to have somebody to fill those minutes. Even Kevin Love, who didn't score much, he only took three attempts today, but I thought his minutes were effective because he focused on what he is one of the best people on the team at, and that is rebounding. Seven rebounds in less than 20 minutes of action, preventing second chance points, and that was gigantic for the Cavs. Throughout the course of the game, it felt like long rebounds, loose balls, the hustle plays, the 50-50 ones, the Cavs managed to get to almost all of those. Now, if you look at the rebounding stats, over the course of the season, the Bucks are second only to the Grizzlies in rebounding. So the Cavs actually outperform them there. Big wins on all the margins by the Cavs. Less turnovers, more points in the paint, more fast break points, better bench scoring. All of that worked in the Cavs' favor. And if this giant win and if this career night from Evan Mobley wasn't enough, then Anderson Verajal's welcome back to the Cavs family certainly was. It was cool to see him join the broadcast. I thought the halftime ceremony was amazing. You would have thought the guy, was his number was being retired. But they were just recognizing his contributions and welcoming him back to an employment situation. I think everybody who lived during that era of the Cavs, he had to be one of your favorite players. Because despite how it ended with him joining the Warriors, I'm willing to overlook that. And it was cool to see him back in the fold. I can't wait for this Knicks game. I hope that Donovan Mitchell's back, but how demoralizing would it be for the Knicks if the Cavaliers are able to defeat them without Donovan Mitchell? This has been the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you to everybody who has contributed in terms of emails, Bob at FroPod.com with questions and who's followed the, the account on Twitter at Fear the Fro Pod. But most importantly, Thank you to each and every one of you who have subscribed to the podcast, who have left ratings, who have left reviews. That stuff makes a difference, and it means a lot to me. There's not many barometers to tell necessarily how you're doing, so to see the engagement, it's motivated me to keep pushing this thing forward. And I I can't wait to see what the rest of this season brings. But after two straight losses before this, it really did give me some perspective into what fucking champions the other Cavalier podcasters are to do this in past seasons during losing streaks because you couldn't have put a gun to my head and got me to podcast after that Warriors game last night. And I spent probably three hours making a pre-open for the ages. 
Uh, you're never going to hear it because we lost, so I didn't get to use it. So unless next season something comes up and I'm able to play it out two times this season, we've got fucked. First, it was Clay Thompson's dirty screen where he shouldered Karis LeVert in the face. And then we got beaten by the G League Warriors, and seemingly everybody on the team became a dead-eye sniper. But back to my original point, doing podcasts after losses kind of sucks a little bit. So thank God this team is on the upswing. And thank God you're all a part of it. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio. More Fear the Fro podcast on the way. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.